Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's a bad weather Monday after a bad news weekend here in the doghouse on the Believe Network. I'm your host, David Murray, and uh, remembering the song from the 70s, Rainy Days and Mondays, a cute little tune. Uh, Those of you who are too young to have heard it, don't bother. Just uh, know that the title sums up everything. Rainy Days and Mondays always get me down. Well, Mondays don't always get us down in Bulldog Country, but they sure get us down when Mississippi State is coming off a sweep. And not just a sweep, a home sweep. And not just a home sweep but a sweeping by them, by LSU. Mississippi State, for yet again, has lost a home series to the Tigers. By the way, the last time Mississippi State won on the home field against their rivals in the Western Division, and uh, really in so many ways their arch rivals in college baseball, 2003. As I told Steve Robertson, if you had uh, mentioned to me back in 03 when we uh, covered that team winning a series, that it would be two decades at least before Mississippi State would win another home series against LSU, I would have probably said something like, oh, which one of us moved to another conference? Well, it's true. State has, uh, since that year, not won on the home field two games, often not even one game. And yesterday, finished off another sweeping at the hands of the Bayou Bengals. So what has it done to the Bulldogs besides drop them to 4-8 and eight in the SEC, 18-15 overall? Well, in this morning's updated RPI, which we discuss in the story attached to this podcast, they are now number 91. That's still double digits. So I was real concerned about dropping back into triple digits as State spent way too much of the first half of the season in. But number 91 is still uncomfortably outside what we would call NCAA tournament selection range. Now, State has plenty of time and plenty of games left to make it up. Uh, And this week is a good way to start because UAB comes in Tuesday evening, ranked, I think, 82 updated. And Auburn has jumped all the way to number 24. Butch Thompson's team is playing really well this time of year. And they come in with a great RPI, of course, uh, two weeks ago. No, three weeks ago, Alabama came to campus with a 25 RPI, and State was able to take that series. Mississippi State needs to take this series. Mississippi State really needs to sweep this series, but that's going to be asking a lot of a team that has only won once in four SEC weekends. Just winning the series is what you're going to ask and uh, hope to get out of this one, as well as a win over UAB because you blow that one. And you really start thinking about what are we going to do with our June Okay, dire situation, but uh, that's what Mississippi State finds itself in right now with the both the overall record, the SEC record, and the RPI. Read the story for more details on the RPI, particularly the opponents that State has played, will play, and the SEC, and you'll find some pretty curious numbers there. And a reminder that RPI is not everything. If it were, Missouri would be sitting pretty because right now the Tigers are hanging in there somehow <laughs> with their RPI of, and let me make sure before I say it out loud, yep, 25. And yet they're 3-9 and nine SEC and only 18-11 overall and in danger of not making the SEC tournament. Of course, so is Mississippi State. And if you're not playing in Hoover, you're certainly not going to be playing anywhere in the NCAA season. So State, a lot of work ahead. You know, the RPI and all that, is interesting to discuss. But what we want to just hash out one more time on Monday and then hopefully, hopefully shove it in the background because it is so frustrating 
is how Mississippi State lost this series to the Tigers. Now, LSU's good, but they're not that good. They're certainly not a team that should have come in here and swept a series, probably should not have won the series. And you think State is one strike away on Friday evening from winning that game. One strike, certainly one out, but one strike. And instead, it's a walk, a wild pitch, a hit batter, and LSU gets the top of the order up, and you know what happened from there. A 2-1 to lead turns into a 5-2 to defeat. Of course, uh, Saturday's game, 3-3, three to three, bullpen doesn't get the job done again, and Sunday is a washout starting in the fifth inning. It was 1-1 to one up to then, and then the second pitcher starts running out of gas, Brendan Smith, having given a really good performance, having to rush in in the first inning. We could talk a lot about the bullpen, about the pitching staff in general, and probably will later in the week. But right now, let's just talk about the offense. I know, painful subject. But as we wrote in yesterday's story, uh, State had more base hits and a better batting average the weekend. And the average was considerably better. Now, when I say better, that's relative because neither team hit particularly well. State was, I think, 271, LSU 239. Uh, Neither is going to be what you call a good batting weekend. Uh, What the Tigers did, though, and what Mississippi State obviously did not do was what Ron Polk used to call timely hitting and us ordinary mortals call clutch hitting. I suppose I could crank up my calculator and uh, try to figure out the infamous RISP statistic. I don't want to. Uh, It's Like I said, it's a rainy day, it's a Monday, and I just don't want to start crunching numbers at this point. I will throw out a couple of digits at you. As of right now, for the full season, State is 13th in batting average in the SEC. South Carolina's last, by the way. Tennessee and LSU up at the top. And they're 12th in on-base percentage. Right, that's bad. Interestingly, though, look at SEC-only games, and this is where the picture gets a little, no, not clearer, confusing. State's 10th in SEC batting average in games, conference games only, despite being 4-8, and eight, and they're ninth in on-base percentage. Again, not great statistics, but much better than your overall. You're playing better at the plate <laughs> against conference clubs than you are in the overall season. What the heck is going on? You know, because that same stat sheet shows that for the full season, State is fifth in runs scored. Yes, they've had a couple of -of out-of-conference blowouts, but they've still put up some runs, too, against the Georgias and other teams that uh, pads it there. So they're scoring in SEC play sometimes, and they're fifth in RBI and seventh in slugging. Of course, they're third in home runs overall, and we've talked about that often. I'll bring up the home runs uh, again in a bit about uh, this team being on a record pace, potentially. So why do they get swept? Why did they lose two of three to an Arkansas team that all of a sudden looks mortal again themselves? How do you lose two of three to an admittedly veteran and pretty good Georgia team, but you had one game in your hands to win and come up short in extra innings? What's happening? It comes down again to what we talked about, clutch hitting or the lack thereof. Mississippi State is not getting the big hit. We wrote about it Saturday. We wrote about it yesterday. We talked to Coach Chris Lamonis about it. And he was blunt, just coming down to the fact that they've got to get not even a base hit, just a good ground ball to, the say, the right side of the infield or a fly ball in the outfield and get that runner home from third base. I calculated that State had left 12 men on base Friday and Saturday, either second base or third base, unscored. When you have that many guys in proverbial scoring position, 
and I shouldn't call it scoring position because when you have a team that can swat home runs out, any base should be called a scoring position. But more realistically, you don't even have to get that hit, although it's better. You get a base hit, you score at least one, probably two runs, make good contact to the right side, avoid a double plate, and State got a force out. LSU wisely loaded the bases Friday night and was able to get a force at home because the contact went right to a defender and not the kind of hit or contact that pushes somebody home. That was just the epitome of the weekend. No, here's the epitome of the weekend. R.J. Yeager, who's moved back in the leadoff position and looks like he's going to be there for a while. How many times have we said that after a guy has moved up to bat first, had a decent or better weekend, and then in a couple of days he's back down somewhere else in the order and somebody else taking his place. Well, of course, Yeager began the season higher up in the order. Now they put him up first. He was 7 of 12 for the weekend and has raised his season average to 317. That's tops on the team. Cameron James, batting second, 4 of 13. So between them, there were 11 of 25. That's pretty good. You think, you know, if your top two in your order are producing like that, you've got a chance to set the stage and get some things done. Obviously, it didn't happen. Because here's, to me, the key demonstration of it. While they were 11 of 25, they only had three RBI. And those three RBI were themselves. They're three home runs, meaning... They hit homers, but with nobody on base. They were not driving anybody but themselves in. No, we'll never turn down a home run. But it kind of epitomizes what's good and what's frustrating about this Diamond Dog offense. They can hit the ball. They can hit the ball for power. But they're not getting the timely hit. They're also not getting a lot of doubles. I know I've harped on that subject before. Triples, well, just those are fluke plays. When you're not getting many doubles – as we've discussed so often already, and Coach Lamonis has talked about as well, you've got a team that has fallen for swinging for the fences. That's not what they're taught to do. That is not what Coach Jake Gotro is telling them to do, swing for the fences. In fact, as Jaeger discussed in our postgame conference on Sunday, they spent pregame before the third game working on simple plays, how to make contact to drive a guy in from third base even how to take a pitch to drive a guy in from third base if you can. Just something that simple. They worked on it. Ironically, only one runner was left in scoring position all day Sunday. So go figure. That's how baseball can drive you crazy. But they're working on it. It's not for lack of emphasis. It's not for lack of effort. It is totally lack of, yes, the other E word, execution. How do you get that ground ball to the, uh, to the deep to the middle of the infield or to the right side and bring the guy home? How do you get that fly ball? Well, you swing at the right pitch at the right time, and so many times watching both live you know, from the press box and turning to watch the TV replay to catch what did the guy swing at or not swing at and take the call third strike, some good batters, some guys who had base hits otherwise in the game, who also had home runs during the game, would swing at trash. That's not an insult to them. It says simply to me, having seen quite a bit of baseball over 40 seasons, these are guys pressing. Because when you can't let a a pitch high up and in, almost taking your shoulder out, and you swing at it, or something down in the dirt or way off the plate, and you swing at it on a 2-2 count, a full count, with those runners in scoring position, that's not being fooled by the pitcher. That's being self-pressurizing to create a phrase and trying to make something happen early on it was trying to make too much happen now they're just trying to make anything happen in those pressure situations 
and they're beating themselves. The pitcher is not beating them in most cases. Yes, LSU had a good bullpen, one of the best I've seen in a while, but they were hittable, and their starting pitching was certainly hittable. State just did not take enough advantage of those situations. So what do you do? Can you teach clutch? I don't think so. I think it's something a guy either comes to campus with already from his years in high school or junior college ball, or he develops it himself in the batting cage by doing it in the games. You know, here's the the twist to it. You talk about clutch. You know, Lamonis said it, and we've heard it from every other coach before. You know, Ron Polk used to talk about hitting being contagious. Well, Lamonis kind of channeled his inner number one by saying that maybe with just one hit in the right situation, score some runs it will get other guys going in the right direction as well. And that's true. We've seen it happen. How often? I mean, look at LSU on Friday night. Yes, they got the top of the order up, but those guys have been shut down most of the game. But something happens, and they start thinking, I can make something happen, and they do. We've seen the Diamond Dogs do it this year themselves as well, then comebacks and uh, forcing walk-off wins against Alabama and other teams. It can be done. They know how to do it. Why aren't they doing it now? Because in my mind, they're simply putting too much pressure on themselves to make that right contact or in other situations to drive a ball into the next county when just dropping something in a gap would be far more productive in the bigger picture. And here's something to think about too. You talk about hitting being contagious. I firmly believe lack of hitting, particularly in pressurized situations, can also be contagious. When you see a teammate get up there with one out, runner second and third, and either strikes out or hits a routine pop-up and nobody can score, nobody can move, you come up there thinking, I can't do that, I can't do that. And sure enough, you do that. It's just the nature of baseball. That's not a criticism of these players. I've seen the best teams Mississippi State ever put on a field do the same darn thing because that's what happens in baseball. And oh, by the way, this is as good a time as any to point out something that uh, we were talking about in the press box as well when looking over message boards and other comments on social media, not just on Gene's page, but uh, other media also, and the fans talking about, you know, how can they do that? Why can't they do this? What's going on? And we turned to each other and said, don't they understand that that other team has scholarship baseball players who were scouted, recruited, signed, developed, practiced, and received intensive scouting reports? Give the other team a little bit of credit, too, as much as it gripes me to do so to the Purple and Gold gang. I mean, yes, as much as we savor Mississippi State's success in the in-state rivalry of recent years, for those of us who go some time back, there will always be something pretty intense about playing the Tigers. And, again, no, let's not go over that again about this home field losing streak to them. Other than to say, I think since 2003, the record is 7-20. and 7-20. and 20. Take, take that in and probably puke it back up. It's just coming down again. State is doing the hard part. They're getting guys on base. They're moving guys into scoring position. You've accomplished two of the three tasks you have offensively. It's just that third one. And the third one is all that anybody ever looks at because the third one is what changes the scoreboard. The state struck out too much, quite obviously, some were, and some were call strikes. And, yes, I will agree. I, we have the advantage in the press box of a couple of screens, check the replay. The strike zone was bad. It was really bad Saturday. It was kind of unpredictable on Sunday, but Saturday was just awful. 
that's no excuse. Both teams have to deal with the same strike zone. Now, did the umpire favor a certain type of pitching? Yeah, I think so. Not consciously, but subconsciously. And it happened to be the way LSU pitching was throwing the ball. And as stated, they have a good bullpen. Mississippi State does not have a good bullpen at the, this moment. And that's digging them into trouble as well. We could, we're not letting pitching off the proverbial hook. There's more than enough issues there. Uh, 26 strikeout, yes, 15 walks. And I'm not about to look back at my box scores and see how many of those free passes became Tiger runs. But you know that story this season all too well already. Summarizing again, State is in trouble. The 4-8 SEC mark has them down now in the West uh, with a couple of rivals coming up. And it's about to get frantic time because you start shaking out that roster. You know, I've looked also, too. And we'll discuss this more in coming days. I've already done my calculations and digging on how many teams with 13 SEC wins or 14 SEC wins have made the NCAA tournament without winning the SEC tournament or going deep into it. That's for later because I've got more numbers to pile up, and I've only done it going back to 2010. Maybe that's far enough. I will tell you that there is a track record that 13-win teams can make the tournament and have done it. Even last year, recall, Alabama got in with 12 SEC wins, but they had a ridiculous strength of schedule. Mississippi State does not have that in their favor this year. So that's something to look further into. The easiest, okay, no, the hardest but best way to get back in there is to win games. Start stacking up the Ws now. Beat UAB. Take the series from Auburn. Preferably sweep the series from Auburn. Because the Tigers are hot, but they are beatable as well. And Mississippi State has played Auburn on the home field traditionally pretty well. Um, all right. Of course, I'm happy for a good friend Butch Thompson to see his team having success now after a tough year last season. I just don't want to see him do it on the field he used to be an assistant at. So Lamonis and staff have their work cut out for them, but most of the work is to keep the Diamond Dog heads in the game and the Diamond Dogs to fix their own issues, particularly in RBI clutch situations. That's how you change a series. That's how you change this season around. They can do it, but they've got to do it. And now they know it. How they handle that pressure will tell the tale of this 2022 season. Speaking of 2022, it's not the season. It's the spring season, but spring football is in full cry right now. We had a chance to watch the scrimmage in person on Saturday. A little freezing wind was making it kind of uncomfortable there in the stands. Um, I will say that those of you fans who um, pay for those chairback seats, good investment. I, 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 I really need to put down the seat number that I was in and thank whoever I borrowed that day sitting with Matt Wyatt and Neil Price, the radio crew, and Logan Lowry from Media Relations as we watched the scrimmage and um, some other media joined us as it went on. We had our reports, of course, Paul Jones provided the video of Matt, Matt Leach's post-game press conference and talked to some prospects who were visiting as well, legally, of course. And myself and Robbie Falk covered the scrimmage as well. Um, you want to know, obviously, what's happening at quarterback. Well, that's good because that's really the only position I watched. I was keeping statistics for the scrimmage. I won't have to do that this week at practice. We have practices Tuesday and Thursday. We'll be talking to players after Tuesday's practice. Uh, begins at 3 o'clock, closed to the public this time. Thursday, we get Leach again to talk about his plans for the uh, spring game. In fact, I asked him directly about that on Saturday, and he had not figured out yet what he wants to do with it because the numbers are against having a true split team game. He would rather do that. 
he made clear his language is a, it's clean. Don't worry about that. But it's pretty blunt about what he thinks of programs that just go through the motions as far as a spring game. He hates it, and that's putting it mildly. He thinks that if people show up to watch you scrimmage, they ought to be able to watch something resembling a game. However, Mississippi State does not have the numbers right now probably to play a true type game where, in his own words, you take the left side of your offensive line and the right side of your defensive line, the number ones, and have them on the same team and then the opposite sides so that it balances things out. You get as close to a competitive group. I know some programs like to go ones versus twos. He doesn't like that. He wants to make it more competitive. But right now, State probably doesn't have the numbers, particularly in the lines of scrimmage. And to me, that's something I'm watching this week at practice. I really want to focus on the defensive line because I'm kind of concerned about the numbers there. I want to see what's happening with safety because that's an obvious concern for anyone who's watched the last couple of seasons at State. Safety play has really been a deficit. And in fact, back in uh, March, that was the first subject Leach brought up when they asked him, what are you most focused on in spring? He said secondary, which by which he meant safeties, and offensive line. I think the offensive line is rounding into form. The defense was very aggressive in the scrimmage. Um, no sacks were allowed. In fact, uh, they were slow on the whistles in situations where obviously a quarterback would have gone down and let play continue. They did have SEC refs calling the game. And I still think that the offensive line has potential to be competitive. They were taking on a pretty aggressive defensive bunch that, uh, well, when you have guys like Tyrus Sweet leading the charge, you're going to make some plays there. Okay, but about the quarterbacks. Okay, and all right, before quarterbacks, let me vent a little bit too. I still, yes, it's practice, and in practices and scrimmages, Mississippi State, no matter who the coach has been, is going to bias towards the passing game because that needs the most work. I'm still a little frustrated about the lack of use and the type of what limited use the running backs are get, and that's event probably better served for another day after we watch what they do in the spring scrimmage. But, boy, I would sure like to see a better expanded running game, particularly now with Travian Hargrove out there. I think the guy's got potential. Dylan Johnson ran as hard as ever. Jacavius Marks, you know what he's got to work with. And they didn't throw him any passes. They, I'll say that for the two quarterbacks. They were not defaulting to the cheap and easy pass in this one, as they have done so far in games in 20 and 21. They were trying to force some things downfield. It hurt them a couple of times. Um, Sawyer Robertson picked a couple of times. Well, one of them was a deflection and returned for a pick six. Then his next time up, he threw another interception. But he calmed down and finished up with a 15 of 22 passing day by my calculations. Uh, his 103 yards, two touchdowns, a couple of turnovers. And he ran the ball for a touchdown that was not credited simply because after he scrambled and he's obviously unhittable, they decided, no, we'll just bring the ball back. He ran from about 21 yards or so. They brought it back to the 15-yard line and made them restart the series at that point. But he did throw a touchdown to clear that series as well. So he got his money's worth on that. Will Rogers running with the number one offense the entire time. It was uh, see, 13 of 22. 99 yards, no turnovers, one interception, directed a field goal drive on his first series as well. Very few penalties in the game. Now, I, was, I was very pleased by that. Only one on the offense as far as jumping the gun. That'd be a huge improvement if they can carry that over into the real season. Uh, one pass interference call in the defense that I recall, and just not a whole lot of flags thrown otherwise. Uh, Chance Lovertich and Daniel Greek were the other two quarterbacks that got work as well. Okay, what's my snap impression of the two? Rodgers. 
I think he averaged something like eight yards per completion. Um, only had one pass that I would say was really risky. So um, very much like his uh, regular season play, low risk, low reward, consistent, not a lot of mistakes, did move the chains, made a couple of good throws on third and even fourth down situations. Nothing really spectacular. I think the longest completion was, well, I'm going through my scratching here. I know there was a 19-yarder. Um, let's see, a couple of the double-digit catches, but nothing, nothing that really caught your eye given who he was throwing to. Robertson, he did have a couple of bigger catches in there, but was much less accurate, and I do mean much less accurate. He's got the stronger arm. Certainly got the better footwork, and he's more aggressive with the ball. He is going to try to push the ball downfield. But his accuracy, at least on this one day, was an issue. I can't say if that carries over to the entire spring. That's another reason to watch this week in practices as much as anything, more so than scrimmages even, because you get an idea for accuracy. How many times have we seen great stats coming out of scrimmages or those of us in media talk about we saw a practice day and this guy was just throwing the ball all over the place and making them? except it was his receivers bailing him out because he wasn't particularly accurate. I will say this, if State had a great receiving core right now of athletes who could make spectacular plays, I wouldn't hesitate to go with Robertson because he's going to get the ball in their area, but he's not going to put it on target in safe places the way that Will Rogers is doing. And read into that what you wish as to what we expect Mike Leach to do when it comes time to name his starting quarterback sometime late in August, because this competition is going to continue. And it is a competition. Rodgers is steady, known factor, reliable. Robertson, potential, potential, potential. But he's got to do production in spring ball and in preseason without the turnovers and the mistakes. And as always, I caution by saying, since we don't know the plays being called, we don't know if a guy read the wrong route, threw the wrong receiver, messed up the play, didn't get the protection, didn't call the defense correctly. Only the coaches know that because they keep these things on charts. All we can go by is what we see, and what I see is one reliable quarterback and one not yet proven reliable but with all sorts of athletic potential. That's my snap judgment from Saturday's uh, scrimmaging there. We'll see what happens in the spring game and others, if that reinforces or if I was reading things entirely wrong on a chance to watch them. And that has happened before in both ways. It's okay. Like I said, um, 3 o'clock practice this week, both closed to the public. The scrimmage is at 11 o'clock at Scott Field. Be there because baseball doesn't play until later in the afternoon. You've got plenty of time to watch it. They will get the scrimmage over with in plenty of time to get to Duty Noble Field for Game 2 with Auburn Tigers. So that's our report today on this rainy Monday morning. Um, yes, it's still raining, judging by what's on hitting the roof here at Browning Creek. So we'll talk more as we get later in the week about pitching plans. Will Mississippi State change the rotation up? At uh, one time I thought they were planning on it this week, and now the number of pitches thrown on which days and having to rush them back, I would probably expect them to stick with at least Preston Johnson on Thursday night. Cade Smith, maybe you could move him up to Friday, but I think they would probably leave him on Saturday because he did throw a fair bit um, early on, and then uh, and then he fell apart in the third inning. But um, maybe maybe they could move up Saturday. I mean, it will all depend on how Scott Foxhall judges their recovery time and their practices. I don't know that Parker Stennett will be back in the rotation. He's got the talent. It just 
It just was not there. We had one of those games after two great games. Did he revert to what he really is, or did those previous games show what he really is? Only the coaches know for sure. Brandon Smith probably threw too much to get in early in the series. Certainly they will not throw him against UAB, so that leaves it wide open starter for tomorrow evening's game. But uh, Casey Hunt, he keeps working himself back in and working himself back in, and the good Friday showing there, he's still overcoming missing so many weeks of live throwing, and you can't duplicate the physical and emotional stress that is, but you liked what you saw from him. And yes, Jackson Fristo will continue to be coming out of the bullpen because, again, he was one strike away. He, he, got, he did his job for two-thirds of the way, got you two outs in, about to lock up a victory, and then it fell apart. But you still have to go with him because who else is there besides Brooks Auger to come in late at the game? Now we're back in baseball there. Anyway, that's our doghouse report for this Monday morning. We'll be talking to you later in the week as well. I'm going to watch our Gene's Page reports for myself and the staff on football practices and the games with UAB. We'll have a lot to cover there. And spring practice winding down to an end, getting intense. Baseball utterly intense. So let's have some fun here on campus again this weekend. And let's keep having fun here in the nice, dry, cozy doghouse on this Monday. This is your host, David Murray, and we're on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.